Welcome to the Shoot This Now podcast. My name is Tim Malloy. My name is Matt Donnelly. Every week on Shoot This Now, we talk about stories that should be made into TV shows and movies. This week, we talked to a guy who's kind of an expert on making TV shows and movies. An awesome oh guest. Oh my god. Fantastic guest. Peter Gould. He created Better Call Saul. Is he related to Elliot Gould? No. Sorry. Uh, but Better Call Saul is related to Breaking Bad. Interesting. We talk about both of those shows. Mm-hmm. Which are pretty much my favorite shows. I know. And also, Tim's not alone. They are well awards nominated and winning and and long running and prestigious. If you are a fan of the Saul universe, you're going to love this. We're going to get really nerdy. It's where Walter White gets the Infinity Gauntlet Mm -hmm. and snaps his fingers and everyone gets meth. Yeah, that's what the show's about. That's Mm -hmm. the Saul universe. Am I right? Am I right? You nailed it. Yeah, I can't believe you've never seen the show. If you just like writing and hearing how a great writer works, you'll enjoy that. Mm-hmm. He also tells us about a movie he really wanted to make about the Clinton Lewinsky wow. situation right after it happened uh, that would have involved shadow puppets. And it's not too late to make it. <laughs> it sounds, <laughs> Gotta love that timely awesome. script. Yeah, It sounds amazing, oh to be God. quite honest. Um, that's only one of the great ideas he has. We also have a very wide-ranging conversation that also involves Brian De Palma, that involves, my God, just listen to this thing. You're going to like it. Thank you so much for doing this. It's my pleasure. I've heard rumors of the normalness of your office, and it is so normal. (laughs) Like, what would you, what would you picture? I would picture something in like a scary neighborhood where you guys come up with really diabolical ideas. Um, some sort of something that looks like the Westward Ho, like the apartment, <laughs> like the uh, hotel complex that you destroy in the last episode. I, I, I will. I will say. Uh, I think our Breaking Bad office was more similar to uh, the Westward Ho or, or the Crystal <laughs> Palace on Breaking Bad. It had a lot. It had a lot in common with with those places and. Uh, uh, we're, we, we enjoyed it. It was great for the, for the years we were there. And now we like having, uh, having air conditioning and, and, uh, an elevator and all, all that good stuff. It's gorgeous. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, I'll tell you the most, to me, the most gorgeous thing and this, I, I, well, now I was going to send it sincere, but not it's not, is the, uh, the fan art is we're sitting oh. here, we're sitting here right now in, in the, in the, uh, in the room where we do our teleconferences with Albuquerque and to cheer us up, we have uh, fan art all over the walls, and it's it's uh, it's something. It's, there's a constant renewing display of, of fan art for Better Call Saul, and we uh, and it just it means the world to us. It's amazing to me that people out there are drawing our characters. So I mean, it always always makes me happy. So whenever you're in a spot and you're just like, I don't know how we're going to finish this episode, you've got all of this reassurance from fans saying we love what you're doing. Oh. Well, maybe. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> the other way to look at it is people are watching, and we better we better not let them down. Oh, I don't okay. know. It could we could go, it could go either way. <laughs> I can twist it around and make myself feel bad, no matter what. You shouldn't. I am a real life fan thank sitting you. across from you, saying that I love what you do and oh. really, really appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you very much. Um, I wanted to ask something that we um, wrote about in the rap that got a little bit of a a stir going. You mentioned that. Walter White might still be alive during the Cinnabon period of Jimmy McGill's life. 
It, well, I'm just. I, we have. You haven't ruled it out. We haven't ruled it out. And if you watch the show carefully, um, and you, you have a calendar at hand and you've taken notes, uh, you remember that uh, in the penultimate episode of uh, Breaking Bad, Walt and Saul both get whisked off by the disappearer. Walt, we know, goes to New Hampshire. He's in New Hampshire a long time. I'm yeah. forgetting how long it is, but it's at least. I think it's got to be like eight, six, eight months. Yeah. Um, so we don't. But when we see it, now we've, we're seeing Gene, uh, the character who used to be Saul Goodman in Omaha, it feels like, and I'll give you this, it feels like he's been there for a long time. Yeah. But there's nothing to say for sure that he hasn't been there for four or five months when we see him, when we see him on Better Call Saul. So yeah. it's, uh, we're just leaving the door open. Let's put it that way. What would that mean to you if, if, if let's say, let's say Saul, Saul Goodman Jimmy McGill, Gene, is there in Omaha, and Walter White is still alive. What, is, what does that mean in your mind? I know that you all have been trying to think of a way to get Cranston back for at least a cameo or something. Uh-huh, yeah. And it doesn't super satisfy me to have, like, you know, the guy who's still a chemistry teacher bumping into Saul at the supermarket. Gotcha. Like, it's cool, but it, how would it move things along? Right. I would be actually pretty psyched if he somehow ended up in Omaha. And I'm such a dork about this. I read a lot of the theories, and I understand that they parted ways in March of that year, which yeah. I think was 2010. If you say and, so. And then someone <laughs> figured out Walt's birthday is in September. Right. And that he dies soon after his birthday. Right. Which means that um, he's still alive until September of that year. So right. Okay. Uh, then, maybe. then they figured that it's snowing in Omaha mm-hmm. when we see Gene, mm-hmm. um, and people like tweeted me almanacs showing that there is no snow in Omaha in September. Mm-hmm. To which I say, but there is snow in Omaha in March and in April, mm-hmm. um, potentially. And also, do they have to follow the actual weather patterns of real life Omaha in that year? I don't. I think you get to take poetic license, but. It, all right, you know, I, 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 let me put it this way: uh, if if we haven't said it on the show, if it's if it works in the uh, the universe of the story, I think all bets are off. Yeah. Uh, and you're you're absolutely right. I'd love to see Brian Cranston again uh, uh, as as Walter White. Um, I, I think he'd like to do it, but we have to we have to come up with something that's worthwhile. I I, I find it hard to picture actually that the um, I wrote. And direct, I was lucky enough to write and direct that penultimate episode, the yeah. Granite State episode. It's hard for me to picture Walt during the course of that episode leaving New Hampshire and going anywhere. Um, is that is that is that what you're pitching here? Oh boy, pitching is too strong. <laughs> <laughs> is that uh, what you're hypothesizing? But uh, he does travel from New Hampshire back to Albuquerque, That's and true. Omaha is kind of on the way. Okay, all right. All right. It's not impossible. I got. I, I got you. That's. You know what? All right. That's 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 an interesting thought. I mean, that's. You know, we're going to open the writers' room again in a few weeks, and <laughs> and I can tell you for sure this this will be broached. <laughs> Do people come up to you like at the coffee place and wherever else and say, "Here's how you should do it"? No, you know, it, it's. I'll tell you, they don't, and, and and I think it's very satisfying that they don't because. Yeah. Um, I, I think my hope uh, for the show was that it would live on its own and stand on its own two feet and it wouldn't be that we wouldn't be just 
drifting off the work uh, that we did on Breaking Bad, that Vince did, of course, Vince did on Breaking Bad, that we this show wouldn't be um, just, you know, building on, you know, just calling back constantly. And, you yeah. know, I guess what they, they call a fan service. Yeah. Um, and so I, people are, the thing that people ask me about when I'm in a coffee shop is what what's going to happen to Kim Wexler? Oh, that's yeah. what's that's what's really worrying to people. Yeah, yeah, is yeah. What's going to happen to Kim? And uh, that is very satisfying to me because she's a character who we never saw on, on Breaking Bad, and so it, it proved to me that the show is is people are invested in this show and they're invested in this show, not just yeah. because of breaking bad, but because of what this show is, is on its own. And that's, that's really satisfying. Yeah. I was going to say that her and Nacho have both just completely established themselves so fully and they're so alive. It's, they really stand on their own without any kind of, you know, touch back to breaking bad at all. And that's, you know, it's such a tribute to uh, Michael Mando and Ray Seahorn. They're just, both really remarkable performers and, and, and both really fun to work with. Yeah. Have you, my sort of theory has been, I feel like I'm like, first of all, let me just caveat. Okay. I think every fan of the show has figured out that whatever we think of is not going to be as cool as what you all are going to come up with. Um, so like coming up with fan theories and yeah. all that sort of stuff is kind of pointless, but it seems like it seems unlikely to me that you would go longer with Saul than Breaking Bad. Yeah, I, boy, that's a good good question. I I don't we don't know at yeah. this point. You know, and, you know, of course, there's what we want to do. What what our what our choice is, and what our, what we want to do is to end this and and hopefully have it work. Boy, I mean, it's, I'm reaching for the stars, but trying to have it land. And be satisfying, mm-hmm. and and that that's one of that's what I think uh, we did on Breaking Bad. That's uh, what Vince Vince led us to do on Breaking Bad, uh, and I'd love to stick the landing on this. Uh, and however many episodes it takes to do that, that's the right number of episodes. Yeah. Having said that, there's always you know there's always a business side to this business, and if people aren't watching the show of course you know we're not <laughs> we're gonna have to stop fortunately it seems like people are watching enough to keep us going but oh, that's yeah. you know that's uh it's some i gotta say it's not something i take for granted uh you know we're only here because of the support of of the viewers the fans and and amc and sony uh that they've they've and believe me, it's a special kind of marriage between yeah. us and those companies because they, you know, it's, it's like getting married when you're poor. Uh, you know, when 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 things go better, uh, you, you know, you know that you're together for good reasons about the oh, relationship. Wow. And and they they really did stick with, uh, especially Breaking Bad. You know, when really no one was watching. I mean, people forget no one was watching. It was mm. really, uh, I thought, the first season of Breaking Bad. I thought it was so spectacular. Yeah. I was so into it. And I just, I never met anybody who watched it. <laughs> I, you know, it's, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be so excited to tell people what I was working on and they, no one had ever heard of it. And so it was, it was so uh, <laughs> rewarding as the years went on to have people get more excited about the show <laughs> and about the characters. And I remember I was working at TV Guide and we got all these different discs sent to us and I would just pop them in at random and oh. it would be like, Oh, leverage this new show on TNT. Oh. This is nice. This is pretty good. And then Breaking Bad came across, and I was like, I like the name. It's kind of cool. And watched it and was just like, oh, yeah, that's the best pilot I've ever seen. <laughs> I hope this keeps going somewhere. And I was totally late. I was like 
probably a season late before getting into it. But my God, once I got into it, the once you saw the Pink Rabbit, it was like, I'm all in. It, it, it's a great pilot. It really is a spectacular pilot, but it does not do the thing that they always told you in the in old days, the old days the pilots were supposed to do, which is to tell you what the show is. Hmm. Because if you watch the pilot of Breaking, as I did, I watched the pilot of Breaking Bad under um, high security <laughs> uh, up, at, up at Mark Johnson's company, Grand Via. Uh, hmm. I got to watch it um, you know, because it was part of the job interview to go work on the show. And I loved it. I thought it was incredible. But my question to Vince was, so what happens to Walter White? I mean, is what... What yeah. ha what's episode two, three, four, five, six? <laughs> because um, the TV shows that I was familiar with, for the most part, you know, there's a pattern to them. There's a pattern to the shows. And Vince said, he's, he said, and maybe he was being coy. Maybe he knew more than he was saying. But he said, you know, well, that's a really good question. I don't, I'm not <laughs> sure. And the great thing, one of the great, one of the reasons why I think that show is so special Weirdly enough, is that it wasn't super duper planned mm -hmm. um, in that Vince trusted the process of going forward beat by beat with the characters. And there was always, you know, the overarching idea of, um, you know, Mr. Chips becoming yeah. Scarface. Yeah. But he wasn't in a hurry. You know, yeah. you know, there. I can't tell you the number of times, especially season one, that we pitched. All right, now Walt Walt picks up a gun and he shoots Tuco in the head. Yeah. And and Walt wasn't ready to do that. That wasn't who Walt was at that point. Right. And we, one of the things I learned, especially in that first and second season of that show, was to listen to the characters and to be honest with ourselves about where the characters are. And uh, so, um, anyway, that's that. Yeah. I, that is a long ass answer no. to what I thought was a really simple question. It's kind of amazing that you weren't sure how much story there was, and it ended up going for five seasons, and then you're doing a whole nother spinoff from that show. I, and I think you could do a third, I, a, a second spinoff. I, I, all I can say is every episode we do, almost every time we sit down and do a mix, I sit down and go, okay, this is episode, the other day I said it, episode 39 about the funny lawyer, <laughs> the funny lawyer on Breaking Bad. Uh, and so it, it, it really, when I step back and I think about, um, you know, I think about that, it, it just seems impossible. But it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's the weird, it's the thing that I, I think I, I, the phrase I used before um, was, you know, trusting the process yeah. and, and just, and, and that's, and, and by the way, and we're so fortunate because we're given, you know, we're given the time to do the job the way we know how. Yeah. And so we take, a, we take, and it's frustrating, I know, especially to the fans, because it takes a while between the seasons. But that's really because, it's not because we shoot particularly long. It's really just because we take time in the writer's room to try to figure out these stories as best we can. And uh, it's trusting that process has, has, has stood us in good stead so far. The patient stuff is kind of the most rewarding. I mean, the entire sequence in 301 is one of my favorite things that I've ever seen on television because I had no <laughs> idea what Mike is doing the whole time he's dismantling that car. And when you finally realize it, you're just like, genius. And like, I'm so glad I stuck with this and you rewarded us for doing that. <laughs> but oh my God, I, it seems like a lot of the show and a lot of the characters in the show are just solving problems. Mm -hmm. They're just really good problem solvers. Why do you think that became such a part of it? Um, you know, it's, I, I think it's part of, partially it's just 
go where other people aren't going. Hmm. You know, if, 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 if other people are, are uh, synopsizing the story to try to get to the next big scene, why not look at the things that are in between yeah. those, those moments? If everyone else is rushing to get to, you know, an explosion, uh, maybe there's something about the anticipation of the explosion. Oh yeah. Uh, instead of just going for the explosion. And it's, I mean, it's, it's a, uh, it's a matter of taste. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it, it works on our show. I don't know if it would work on other shows, but it seems to, I also think people underestimate the fascination of process mm -hmm. and how things get done. I mean, if you've yeah. ever, you know, if you've ever, you know, looked, you know, at the, at the opening in a, in a, um, a fence at, yeah. a, at a big construction site and you've been kind of fascinated to see how it's act, how this building actually gets put together, you yeah. know, and the people who really know what they're doing, there's something fascinating about that. And especially when that person who knows what he's doing is played by Jonathan Banks yeah. or by, by Bob, Bob Odenkirk, uh, it, it holds your interest. Having said that, you know, we, we try not to have people, it's one of the tricks is we, you know, we try not to just have them solve a problem. Yeah. Uh, usually solving one problem leads to another problem in our, our world. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a little bit, there's a lot of action and reaction and we don't always know where it's going. I mean, the, 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 um, the moment I remember the best was, uh, on going back to breaking bad again was in, um, the episode, the train heist episode. Yeah. Um, and we laid out this whole heist, and and <laughs> and it was originally a truck heist, and then I think one of the one of the writers said, "God, we've had so many damn trucks." So <laughs> so it became a train, a train, and uh, we you know we spent a lot of time thinking about how we, how you would do this, and then it ended, and they got away with it, and that was well, that seems what's the what's the cost of this, and oh. that's that's how the whole thing with Drew Sharp came about yeah. because. Uh, that you know, the truth is that all our all the actions we take in this life often have unexpected consequences. Yeah. And when we try to play that out. Yeah. It it seems like a I'm surprised when you say that it isn't all that planned out because it everything does pay off. Like pretty much everything comes back and pays off somehow, which makes me think that you're going back and looking at, okay, what do we already have? What can we work with? And there's a couple of notable ones for me. One obviously is Cinnabon. Um, I think you can go back retroactively and watch the episode that you wrote and directed, the penultimate episode, and he says, you know, with any luck, I'll be managing a Cinnabon. Here's my theory, and tell me if I'm right. Okay. Um, he t Saul takes his picture with the Nebraska driver's license. He knows he's going to Nebraska, and he says, with any luck, I'll do this very specific thing. Then when we see him next, he does that exact same very mm -hmm. specific thing, which I always thought, like, that's weird. Like, that's too on the nose, whatever. Until I watched your episode again... And then I realized, like, the disappearer probably gave him that as one of his life options, right? Yeah, he. I, I think it's a too big a coincidence. It seems. It seems like the disappearer must have said, because uh, uh, Saul says something like, you know, what's what's in Omaha? Yeah. And and and, uh, and the disappearer says, you from now on. But <laughs> I think there must be more more to that conversation later, uh, where where he says he tells him what the because obviously also by the way, he has to learn how to make the Cinnabons right. and all that there has to there's there's a lot of pieces uh that 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 must have happened and the disappearer has yeah. to be pretty damn thorough for him to fit into <laughs> this into this work world and he has an in at Cinnabon 
Yes. Well, maybe, or you know, I don't, who knows? I mean, there's, there's, there's a universe of possibilities and that's, you know, that's always the tricky, the, you know, this is the kind of thing that we talk about in the writer's room is whether, you know, is there, is there a scene in this or that or the other thing? And what's the, what's the right piece of, uh, uh, I don't know, the right gap in the story yeah. for us to, to get, to dig into and what's, what's there. And we explore a lot of dead ends. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, there, there are people in the writer's room who get very tired of, of sometimes oh, some man. of the dead end, the dead ends, but then sometimes the dead end turns out, you know, or a weird idea comes out and it's kind of interesting. Like, you know, who's, there's the Poyos Hermanos. We've got the chicken brothers. Yeah. Who's the other chicken brother? You know, which, yeah. which was kind of, oh, which yeah, it seemed we had the logo and then later on somebody in the writer's room asked the question. Uh, and so that, you know, those are, those are the things that we think about a lot, you know, but you know, the big things are always, you know, how, did this person get to be the way they are now? And that's always that's always the question. Is in you know, in some ways going backwards. You know, a lot of the time in movies, uh, people go back to childhood, and, yeah. and you'll see someone's a product, which I think is there's a grain of truth to it too. There's a grain of um, there's there's a, there are pe- folks are a product of their childhoods. Yeah. But I think at least what we try to do dramatically is to think about people as, as the product of the sum total of their decisions that they've made yeah. rather than being uh, 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 victims of circumstances. Yeah. I don't know what... this is. We're getting very heady here, man. Is this I, really this what is, you want to talk this about? This is why I like the show. This, this is what we... We talk about this all the time. Yeah. We, this, this, we talk about what does this character deserve? Yeah. What should the person do? Um, what should this person do? And then why aren't they doing the thing that they yeah. should do? It seems so obvious to us. I mean, it's, it's, um, that's, this is exactly what we talk about. Well, what we try to do on our podcast is, you know, go back through history, usually through history, and find crazy cases or really interesting people who we think haven't gotten their due right. and say this person should get a movie. And it's kind of our excuse to just talk about somebody we think is interesting. Um, but... Listening to something on the break, on the Better Call Saul Insider podcast recently, I thought maybe we're doing this all wrong because yeah. you all do start so much with character and start so much with where is her head at right now? Where is his head That's at right true. now? Why would they do that? Yeah. How do you start writing? I mean, do you start with something that's going on in your head and trying to sort it out? Do you start with... Well, it's... There's... You know, there's... It, writing is very different if you're starting from scratch. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if you're starting from scratch, you know, you start, I mean, you can start anywhere, you know, it's, it's like, it's like, where do you, where do you, you know, if you have a plate full of food in front of you, which, which thing do you start <laughs> eating first? It's, it's in, in, and what I, when I'm writing by myself, the things that I do, what I do is I work on an aspect. I think about mm-hmm. this. I first, I, first of all, I think the big thing for writers, in my opinion, is to know whether you're generating material or whether you're editing. And that's, right. a, that's a distinction. It's very, it was very hard for me to understand at the beginning. And if you don't know which one you're doing at any particular moment, then especially if you're trying to generate material, if you try to edit while you're generating, then you're just going to stop yourself cold. So the right. way I do it, I just, I just write a lot about yeah. 
the movie or the story. And I, I write about, uh, and if I'm coming up with it out of my own head, which, which I've done many times, uh, you know, I'll just write about the characters. I'll write about, uh, I'll write about their circumstances, the places they go, the, the circumstance, what they would do in certain situations. I'll just have uh, dialogues between the characters. I'll just write, I'll just, uh, you know, and sometimes I'm talking, I'll just sit there and just write, write, write. And then and then I'll go over it. Uh, I'll print it out and go to a coffee shop, and I'll start circling stuff that I think is interesting. Yeah. And I'll start thinking, well, wait, if this, if they said this to each other, that means there's this kind of a scene, yeah. and that means I'm learning this about the character. Yeah. And I'm learning that about the character, and then I start editing and saying, well, wait, you know, oh, if I have these two scenes, it seems like there would have to be this in between for this to make sense to me. And then that's, I mean, it's as simple. I mean, it. It sounds kind of freeform, which mm -hmm. it is, but the trick, the reason why it's freeform is that you, um, uh, you, you can keep switching what, which, which part of your mind you're using depending on how stuck you are. Right. And so, you, you know, when people talk about writer's block, it's usually, writer's block is usually a result of um, feeling like you're editing. You should be, you, you want something to be perfect mm -hmm. and you, you, you need to put something down and then and then edit it. And the the truth is, the more anyway. So that's 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 one way. Mm -hmm. And then you know the other. And it's not that different. The the but the great thing, the thing I love about working on television is that we get uh, a group of people together in a room. We talk about the story. And once you have um, the biggest challenge, the biggest creative jump to me on the show is going from a discussion. Yeah. to what we call a board, uh, a broken mm -hmm. story, having a story which, and we, we spend a lot of time talking about each scene and trying to understand the point of each scene and where the characters' heads are at and, and, and even pitching out dialogue and what are the big turns of the scene. And uh, we put a lot of that in synopsis form on, on three by five cards. There's a whole method to it. And then at that point, uh, a writer goes off and writes. And when I, when I do this... Um, I find it very liberating because you know the you know what you're going for. Yeah. You know the goal of each scene, and so it's a matter of um, it's a matter of putting it down on on paper in the most uh, evocative, exciting, but more important, neither one of those words, truthful way that I can. And the way I do it is, I'll each scene, I'll I'll basically pick one. I'll either write the dialogue or the description first. Yeah. And and, and then I'll just write. Usually with dialogue, I'll just write pages of dialogue, and then, like I said before, I'll start I'll start editing and say, "Well, that's okay. That makes sense. And that's no, that sucks. Uh, no, and that doesn't. <laughs> you know, that sucks, and that doesn't suck. And then I'll try. I'll just keep going over it and over and over it again. But you know, there are some. I I know there are a lot of people who don't work that way. Yeah. Uh, we have you know. Tom Schnauz picks a scene in the script that he um, he thinks he can see immediately, and then he writes that one first, and then he he just writes scenes. He writes the scenes, and then um, and then eventually he's down to just a couple of scenes that he finds most difficult. I tend to go linearly. I just start start at the beginning and go to the end. Hmm. You talked on the podcast about a period in your life when you were getting enough. You're writing enough and getting enough things bought. Yeah. To survive, yeah, and keep going. Oh yeah, but not that actually was, getting it made. That was, yeah. But I don't want to skip past that because earning a living, yeah, doing anything that you and any getting to earn a living doing something that you find rewarding, yeah. and sort of and enjoy, is it's one of the great gifts in yeah. life. I mean, it's really a 
that's special and, and it's something I, I had enough years of struggle that I think uh, I always go back to appreciating it and yes I did I had I had a lot of trouble it, once I I had, a, I had a my career was not a smooth rise mm. um, not at all and I had uh, and when when things when I was starting to get hired as a writer uh, it was very hard to get things made and part of that is it just you know, a lot of these things are accidents of history. Uh, I got into writing um, uh, television movies, especially for HBO, hmm. at just the moment where that was starting to decline. There was a big pullback. Interesting. Uh, there was a big pullback. Now, it, it, I think they're back in a really... For, the idea of movies for television is back and really forceful. Uh, but there was, it was a pullback. And also, um, I tended to pick or work on subjects that weren't obviously uh audience grabbers i've always been you know there's one of them uh, one of them uh you know i wrote about um uh, the clinton impeachment was was i wrote an adaptation of um jeffrey uh, tubin's book oh my god uh, that's a vast a great conspiracy book. vast conspiracy uh and and that was it was that was a really challenging and fun piece to do for hbo and and for whatever reason um that you know kept on almost getting made there i wrote mm. it once as a once as a uh, two hour and then once as a five hour or five six hour limited series oh, uh, i was real proud of those i thought that they came out great i wrote about uh the cola wars coke versus pepsi uh which was really Very fun cool. i wrote about um the breaking of the genome which Whoa. was uh you know super complicated and the great thing about these about writing a true story uh and it's something that frankly my 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 classmates at usc uh <laughs> scott alexander and larry karaszewski figured out long before oh, i boy. did uh they found out that if you write if you're writing a true story you can bring a really strong point of view to it right and that's what i found is that in some ways you have more freedom to be crazy cinematically if you're telling a true story than if you're trying to get the audience to believe in the reality uh, and, and you're spending your cinematic energy on that. So in other words, if you're doing a, a movie that's about a strange other world or a television show, you're spending your your um, story capital on right. making that feel real. You know, if you're, you're taking, you're trying to build Westeros in right. the imagination of your characters. Uh, so you're not, if you do that, you know, you're not going to see, probably, maybe you will, on Game of Thrones, you're not going to see them do some crazy cinematic trick with, uh, you know, split screens or strange colors or, or something where they're, where they're um, uh, drawing uh, some kind of, some kind of uh, slightly heady comparison between the characters. Uh, but the great, and or using animation, and those were all techniques that I got to use in oh, these scripts. So cool. I got to use, you know, so you would, you would have... Um, you know, you would have uh, scenes in some of these scripts where there were uh, shadow puppets and things like that. <laughs> it was just crazy, crazy ass stuff, and it w I was really uh, proud, proud of them. But they, like you said, they weren't really getting made. I, I have a million questions, but which of those projects involved shadow puppets? It was the Clinton impeachment. How were you going to do the Clinton impeachment with shadow puppets? Well, there's a there's a. <laughs> Uh, a, a part of the story which involves a substance that gets on a blue dress. Uh -huh. And I thought that, that it was just, there was a, you know, a lot of it is a, a sort of, a, at least the way I wrote it, it would be very, it would be a very different story now. Right. Uh, historically, just, I mean, it's, it's, um, you know, it's like 15 years since I wrote it. Uh, but it, there was a, there was a part where, you know, some, some, 
human stuff. substance. Yeah. Some stuff gets on a blue dress, and we did that. That was planned to do as 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 a basically like a <laughs> shadow puppets. Uh, and and there's you know there was there was a. a, a Anyway, that, that it, would be the only shadow puppets. That, that, that was there were there are other shadow puppets too, but there you go. Good lord! So that didn't happen. That's not going. I mean, because Ryan Murphy obviously did your classmates' show, um, People versus OJ. Yes, yeah, it came out great. And then I understood that eventually he was going to get the Clinton Lewinsky story and then stopped. Um, but it sounds like you have something ready to go if he were to pick it up again. I did, I did, you know, and I'm really proud of it. But I think it's a, you know, we're in a different I, my I, my perspective on. Uh, Bill Clinton has changed yeah. in, the, in the last 15 years. Yeah. Um, you know, we're in a, you know, for, my consciousness has been raised somewhat, yeah. but I, I think there's still a lot of, it's, there's, there's a lot of complications to doing that story, maybe now more than ever. Right. And, you know, Monica Lewinsky is, and by the way, I, I always uh, had, I will say that she was the mo- to me the most empathetic character in the whole the whole yeah. piece. Yeah. Um, but you know she has her own point of view, and and she's she's an adult smart individual yeah. now. So it, it she was she's a, she, now she's she's yeah. an adult person who can well, tell her own story. I don't know. It's I I have it. I I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. Yeah. Well, that's like a classic kind of shoot this now scenario where we did one about Angela Davis, and it's like someone should make the movie of Angela Davis. I'm a 43-year-old white dude. I should not make the movie of Angela Davis. There's I had, someone who will do it much better. You know, I had the same, I had the exactly the same experience. I wrote for, um, and I really enjoyed the hell out of working on it. Uh, I wrote uh, for Showtime. Uh, the executive was a brilliant executive, Perlina Mbakwa. Mm-hmm. And she uh, hired me to write a story which was uh, centered on Pam Greer's experiences um, in the early days of black exploitation. Oh, wow. And, and I got to spend some time with Pam Greer and hear some of her stories and get to know her a little bit. And, and she's a remarkable person. And that's, that's a story. It's a Hollywood story. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a black story. It's also, you know, there's also part of that story are people who are just like goofy film students, yeah. uh, well, as I was. And it's it's a really interesting um, a really interesting story. It was called Super Bad Mama. Uh, that was before great. the movie Super Bad came out, and it was um, it's it's a great story. Somebody should be telling it. Yeah, probably not me. <laughs> um, so you talked about a couple of films that you think should be made, or a couple stories that you think should be told on screen that you yourself are not going to make. Well, I just said that about that's. I mean, the Pam Greer story. I, I mean, I'm actually hoping somebody hears this. Yeah. Uh, and then and then gets in touch with Pam Greer and 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 tries to do something because I think this is the moment to yeah. do the Pam Greer uh, the Pam Greer story and you know we I would just watched uh, Black Klansman the other night and there's yeah. a whole scene where there's um, Spike Lee uses posters from black exploitation movies yeah. and there she is yeah and she's uh, she's a magnetic person uh, and you know she started out. Uh, wanting to be a film student at UCLA, and mm-hmm. she's a very bright, very bright person, and and a really interest. I mean, my God, her story is incredible. Yeah. I won't even start. Uh, but somebody's got to do that. Yeah, get on it. How far did you get with it? I I wrote a script, and uh, uh, I thought I thought it was pretty good at the time. Uh, yeah. But you know, it's 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 tough to get it's tough to get a movie made. It's amazing, like how these things work movies movies are a complete mystery to me i i i really like um series i think i found my the right 
creative. And I'm not to say never, never move to movies, but I think I found a really good creative environment for me here. Yeah. Uh, doing series television. Yeah. Is there another star you think really needs to be committed to screen? Uh, well, you know, there was, oh, I, that was another one that I wrote uh, for H, HBO that, that, that didn't end up getting made. Uh, that was, um, uh, it was actually the director. Well, I, I, this was a rewrite to be fair. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was, the director was, uh, Mick Jackson, who's, who's, uh, who later went on to direct, I think one of the best movies HBO's ever made. Yeah. Temple Grandin. Oh Which yeah. is just incredible. And he also did Live from Baghdad. He's a brilliant, brilliant British director. And we were working on a, uh, a project, uh, about the 1952 presidential election, which was the very first. And it was from the point of view of the um, the news folks at CBS, huh. because uh, up to that point, no one had broadcast like political conventions, <laughs> and all the um, all the format that's taken over American politics had its origin in the 1952 presidential election. It, it, it and it was a big surprise to everyone. And of course, that's the presidential election uh, where you had. Uh, uh, Nixon give the checkers speech. Oh, the it's checkers the speech. It's the first time that you saw the uh, uh, the backroom politics. Uh, it sort of ended and became became. We now have political theater. That was really the. It was really the origin of of politics as electronic theater uh, in wow. America. And that was uh, as Stevenson versus Eisenhower. Yeah, it was a really interesting, a uh, very interesting uh, race. And it was a. Uh, it's a fascinating project. Uh, and, and maybe maybe somebody should think about how to how to do that. Uh, I think it's it's a tricky one to do without it being uh, absolutely huge. Uh, and the way hmm. the way we figured it out was uh, was very much through the the point of view of the um, the folks at CBS, including Don Hewitt, huh. uh, who were who were who were uh, who are working on on that. And it's 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 a really somebody somebody's got to do that uh, because so many of our uh, problems. Uh, this particular, because you know, we had other democracy. In my limited understanding is always it's always imperfect. Yeah. Uh, but our particular set of problems uh, really seem to go back to 1952, at least in the tel the intersection between politics and entertainment. Uh, it's, yeah. And it's 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 a it's a fascinating story. Is that the year when it starts where it becomes like more of a more of a show and more of a I mean, because I think I think that, and then I hear like whistle stop tours where people are like, you know, garlanded out in their amazing costumes and the band and everything else. And it's like, when did it turn stupid? Oh, it's. I think it's. Uh, well, what do I know? Whistle stop. I mean, John Dickerson has a great. You said the word. Yeah, that's whistle a great. Stop. That's a great, podcast. great podcast called Whistle Stop, which, yeah. and it, it's you, know, you start realizing that um, we always like to think that our era is is so unique and that people are so different now than they used to be. And, and the more you learn about history, the more you realize there's a great continuity in, uh, in human brilliance and stupidity. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm pontificating. I, but I, that was, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that was part of it. That was my understanding of it. And it, you know, it was, I, I'm, you know, that's the wonderful thing about being a, uh, uh, a, a, tel a television writer or a yeah. movie writer, uh, or just a writer in general is you get to learn about all sorts of different things. So, you know, I got to learn about, uh, 
learn about how television worked in the 50s. And then you know, oh, yeah. a few years later, I'm learning how meth, how you cook meth, the different methods <laughs> to cooking meth. And then, you know, and, and then we I got to learn about money laundering and, and, yeah. and all, all sorts. And then we just, the, the great thing is you get to kind of dabble in, in these in these different areas, uh, but I think dabble is the, the key word because I yeah. don't I don't really consider myself an expert on any of it. And I, I will say I think that that's humility is is probably something that's kind of important. Well, knowing what you don't know, and we'd better not say this because someone will call us on it. Yeah, well, that's when you 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 try to get folks who know what they're talking about yeah. to to read your stuff and to. To, to weigh in. I mean, that's certainly on Better Call Saul. That was, you know, when we started taking it back to Better Call Saul, when yeah. Vince and I started, uh, we were both nervous as hell about it because, uh, first of all, there have been a million great uh, lawyer shows. Yeah. Uh, going back to Perry Mason and beyond, there have been so many great court courtroom scenes done. And, and, and I, how are we going to reinvent that? How are we going to do, what are we going to add to that, the pantheon uh, there? And also, neither one of us is a lawyer. Yeah. Neither one of us has a legal background. Neither one of us is, I, I was a witness once. Uh, so that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's my experience. Uh, and, you know, what we, and so we, when we started the show, we thought, this is going to be about a lawyer who never goes in the courtroom. In fact, hmm. there was even a version where Jimmy slash Saul actually had a, a physical aversion to walking into a courtroom. <laughs> he would do everything he could to avoid actually walking in. And then, of course, you know, once we got started, the, the very first scene of Act One in the pilot, he's in the courtroom. Uh, but but we tried we tried like hell to try to stay keep it as accurate as possible, and yeah. that's that just involves a lot of help. My parents are lawyers, and one thing I really appreciate about the show is that you think it's this really dramatic and cool job where you just walk in and prove <laughs> people wrong in front of everyone. And But it's so much of, like, carrying around boxes and so much of, like, where did I put that and so much of did I file it on time and <laughs> this judge is mad at me because I asked for a delay and the other side is going on vacation. And you get into all of those really nitty-gritty, very <laughs> – the actual profession is just so much – just like any job – like, did I clock in? Did the punch card go? It's just, I think you really get that. I love, I love hearing that. You know, we, when we started, one of the things that we did was uh, I sat, some of the other producers, and then eventually the whole writer's room went downtown LA and we just hung out at the courthouse <laughs> while court was in session. And everybody would split up and we'd go to different floors so and, cool. and just sit in the courtroom. And what, you know, one of the things I learned was uh, a lot of time in court is spent scheduling. Oh God! And yeah. It's remarkable how much time is actually just spent scheduling. How many long gaps there are in the action. Yeah. And, and so uh, we have this thing that we call. Hopefully, it doesn't bore the audience, but we call it boredom in the court. <laughs> uh, you know, we're just tried to um, occasionally show some of the the in between stuff and and try to show some the stuff that the lower stakes stuff that most drama ignores uh but you know the truth is that you know you take lower stakes things and you add them up yeah and they become high higher stakes also the other thing is i, I will say that's the you know there's there's like five, the five lazy notes hmm. in, out in the world and one of the one of the lazy notes that you get as a writer is the stakes need to be higher right, right. And, and you know it's not every <laughs> story has to have you know it has to have like a, a a baby tied to the railroad tracks. <laughs> Not every story has to have, you know, a bomb, a bomb set to blow up the center of the earth. I think the trick 
with a lot of the stakes questions is what does it mean to the character? If you really understand the character and you understand what the situation means to them, then then that stakes right there. Yeah. I mean, the whole glory of this is projecting, you know, we get as viewers, we get to project ourselves into these lives that we're not living. And and that's that's part of the fun. So that's, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm on a rant. No, no, I, I love this. I think you really directly, you do that directly like Born in the Court in episode 404, the one that people will hear right before they hear this. Yeah. Where Kim just goes to court and it, a judge calls her in, which is something I don't think I've ever really seen, maybe on The Good Wife, but the judge calls her in and is like eating, her lo- eating his lunch and she doesn't know what he wants. And at first I'm like, is he hitting on her or something? But he mentions his wife right away, which I was like, that was good writing. They established that that's not what's happening. <laughs> Heather Marion wrote that one. She did a great job. No, it was great. And then he just tells her like, he tells her the plot of the verdict um, <laughs> and says, you're never going to fight a case like that. And what are you doing sitting in my courtroom? Like, yeah. She seems to be on looking for an answer sitting there. Can you sort of tell us where she's going? Like where her head is at? I think, yeah. I mean, I think Kim, Kim is a fascinating character to me in so many ways. She spent so much time clawing her way up to be... Um, a success. She's she's a real Hor- Horatio Alger, yeah. more so because she's also you know been fighting sexism and all sorts of other things, and she's um she's she's managed to make a living and prove that she can be an excellent lawyer yeah. and and have and 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 have very good clients and yeah. and have a business, but I think the accident she had at the end of last season. I think it accelerated something that would have happened anyway, which is she's now wondering what's the point of it all. Right. What, you know, yes, she's helping to open banks uh, throughout throughout the Southwest. Right. And is that, you know, yes, you get paid for your time, which is great. And by the way, this is a high level problem. She's yeah. getting paid for her work. But what is what is her work contributing to the world? What is what is what is the point of all of it? And I think that's that's what takes her into that courtroom. She's trying to think what. I know there was something that attracted her to the law in the first place, and we yeah. got we got little hints of that. We got a little hint when she uh, uh, talked about To Kill a Mockingbird and Atticus Finch. Yeah, and you know she's maybe she's trying to find a little bit of her inner Atticus Finch here. So she's getting idealistic at the exact same time that Jimmy is getting really, really cynical and selfish. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could say you could say that. I, well, he's they're in a different they're in different modes though because Jimmy yeah. has lost. He's lost his ability to practice law, which he was very hard won. He's lost his brother, who was one of the most important. And now he's he's um, he's kind of fighting to keep his head above water. So yeah. I mean, yes, you could say he's cynical, uh, but he's also he, I think he's looking. He, he the thing I think they're sharing is they're both looking for purpose. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Their purposes seem like they're at odds. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah, but we like them together. Oh, oh we lo- oh, you haven't even oh these these two, these two yeah, and Bob and Ray this this season especially there is an intimacy to some of their work, and even more than what you've seen so far. If you're on episode four, they, they their work is just really uh, terrific this season, and it, it's a Jimmy and Kim have a very grown up relationship. In a lot of ways, uh, but man, I think they really do care about each other. Yeah, yeah. What's going on with the cell phone store? Is that a front for something? <laughs> it's a job. It seems like, right? But there's no customers. Yeah. Well, you know, if you've 
been to a, well don't forget you know the year we're in uh yeah. you know it's what's 2003 yeah uh there look there were a lot of a lot of empty stores <laughs> there still are ha, ha, yeah haven't you been you know if you go to any any strip mall in america yeah there's at least one store that that is just empty like that i live in west hollywood and i'm surrounded by all these empty stores i'm like i thought this was like kind of a popping neighborhood and I don't know what's going on. I, I you know, it's, it's very strange. But you know, someone has to someone has to be in there uh, yeah. to sell the phones if unless they close the branch. Which I guess I guess maybe who knows? Maybe that's maybe that's <laughs> in the cards. It doesn't seem like a lot's going on there. Yeah, I I mean I'm sure he'll he's going to get something going on based on the paint on the on the windows. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, is Jimmy's Jimmy's uh, nothing if not inventive? Yeah. <laughs> Um, another weird callback I wanted to ask about, and this is total fan nerd service, sorry. Sure. But the way we meet Saul is making a transpositional error. Um, he mixes up some numbers and confuses Badger with a public masturbator. <laughs> ah, that's right. <laughs> and then there's a huge, am I saying that word right, transpositional error? Uh, yeah, that's what he calls it. When you reverse numbers? He says, it, he calls it a trans, I believe he calls it a trans, ah, a transpositional error, yeah. Well, the whole thing he does at Kinko's that, kind of ruins his brother's life is also a deliberate transpositional yeah is that was that something where you looked back and said what have we got or did it just i i, I love what you're saying I, I wish i could say it was all intentional <laughs> <laughs> maybe we're just obsessed with transposition with those errors i can't was, say that word was there an awful transpositional error in your life that i i am a transpositional error <laughs> <laughs> man um What's your advice for people out there who watch the show and want to do their own, want to do their own thing, who who would like to create something really truly good that's also really entertaining? Oh wow! I I think, you know, there's no substitute for just keep working and to find people who you respect and have have them uh, read your work. And as a as a a dramatic writer, there's no substitute for having um, actors yeah. getting to watch your act, act actors. Um, say your words and enact your actions it's it you know i my my advice is to to write a lot uh be nice to yourself when you're be nice to yourself when you're generating ideas yeah and be 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 very focused and 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 honing when you're editing and know know when you're doing each and then try to get you know even if you can't shoot anything I, the the one I made one little feature film, and I think the only reason why that feature got made was that I um, was able to put together a a reading yeah. with a bunch of actors in somebody's living room. And once we heard the script, people heard the script out loud. They said, "Wait, this is actually fun. This is working," and that kind of got the thing going. There's really no substitute for having um, having people. Uh, having actors, good actors, uh, perform your work, and also if you have a good ear and if you're honest with yourself, you'll hear them. Yeah. You'll hear and you'll watch them perform it, and you'll learn from it, and you'll say, "Wait a minute!" And nine times out of ten, you'll say, I, "There are things in here that I don't need," and hmm. that's when you really because the two things you need to learn is how to generate material and how to edit. Yeah. And I mean, it's just it's it's those are those are the two sides of your brain, and the more you can do both of them, uh, the better off you'll be. Is that the film about the foot fetishist? No, that was my student film. This mm-hmm. was uh, this little movie I made uh, was actually Lloyd Bridges' last movie. Oh my God! Uh, uh, which was it's called Meeting Daddy. It's with Josh Charles and Lloyd Bridges and yeah. uh, 
uh, Christy Swanson and Allie, Allie Wentworth, and it's it's a wonderful cast. And uh, I didn't really know what I was doing, but it's <laughs> it, it, it did get made. It worked out. It did. <laughs> um, anything else you want to add? Uh, nothing. I'm just. I, I love all your your in depth questions. I mean, they're dorky. No, like, then, I, I. But to, they, to you just, show about you show you care about the the character of the show. I mean, that is the greatest honor is to have people take the show seriously enough to 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 think about it and to think about the characters when when the show's not on. I mean, one thing about the show is like I I used to write these things about it that were like you know this is a story about the nature of good and evil and you know how evil is really just making a series of small compromises that become bigger and bigger mm -hmm. compromises. And that's what really interested me about it. But it's also like, the reason I was watching is because it's really fucking entertaining. <laughs> like, it's yeah. just really cool. And there's stuff in it that was just cool. And that, I think, um, when you have something that can do both of those things and that you laugh at and that you also think about, it doesn't get better than that. Oh, I mean, wow. the show to me, wow. I think there is a legitimate argument, and you didn't have to say anything, but I think there's a legitimate argument about whether what you're doing is better or the Godfather is better. They do the same thing. And, and I, think, I think I like the argument because they're two totally different mediums and you can't directly compare them. But I know I've gotten more enjoyment out of the Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul universe than I have from the Godfather universe. I, and I, 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 all I can say is Godfather's one of the great, greatest movies. And it's, um, it's a movie we talk about a lot. So, interesting. Yeah. I, how much do you talk about Scarface? Uh, we've talked about Scarface. I don't think it's one of our touchstones quite as much, quite as much as, uh, uh, quite as much as the Godfather. Cause you used two Scarface actors. That's true. The Mr. Chips to Scarface. That's true. And this is something I just realized yesterday. The director, Brian De Palma went to your alma mater, uh, Sarah Lawrence. That's, he did. And was one of the first men there yeah and you know he went he went back and produced a movie uh, that i was that was my first pa job i was i was a pa on a brian de palma movie that was he that produced like 1981? At, it was a long time ago it was a long time ago i'm really old was that after carrie when he made that movie it with, was long um... after carrie yeah he was a he was a well-known director at that point he went back uh to the school it was wonderful he went back and produced a movie that one of the students wrote and directed with kirk douglas uh yeah, I Isn't think so. Well, you were good. You were a PA. I was a PA. That? that was the only thing I remember. Uh, yeah, this is, no, it was. I was a PA. I, I went and, and 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 got hangers from dry cleaners in in Manhattan. Yes. What was it like working with the Palma? Uh, you know, I, I didn't work that much directly with him, but just the idea of being on a on a real movie. Yeah. And and getting to meet uh, the person I remember is Steven Fearberg, the dire uh, director of photography who later went on to shoot Entourage. Oh wow. And and I was just, you know, fascinated by what the what the work that he did and and by, you know, the whole production. It was exciting. It was the first time I saw a, a C stand. And I remember that <laughs> my first thought was, why do you need so many of these stands <laughs> to make a movie? Why do you need so many of those stands? Because you got to control light. It's all yeah. about light, and if you're if 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 you're uh, if you're making a movie, uh, it's it's going to be a two dimensional object, and it need you need to con have some way to control the light. And the C stand's pretty important to controlling light. <laughs> um, 
I feel like I should leave on some big thought, but I don't. It's, it's, we'll just talk about C stands. It's a century stand. You can Google it. It's it's uh, it's a fundamental piece of uh, grip technology. Uh, and I, you know, it's, it's I, this for me. This whole this job is yeah. the great gift here. Is it's the ultimate film school. Yeah. And uh, so we get to, you know, I get to learn. I get to stick my nose into everybody's business. I get to work with the you know, smartest people i've ever met and uh, the most creative people i've ever met and and it's 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 a delight and and uh thank you so much for watching oh my god thank you for making it we'll, i'll go. watch it as long as you <laughs> make more of them there you we'll, well, we'll and, and i'd probably we'll, pay we'll a lot try, more money we won't paying. hopefully we won't overstay our welcome <laughs> <laughs> cool thank you so much sure my pleasure Support at a time of need.